Welcome to episode 74 of FRT. I'm Brad Carr, once again in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and we're joined today across the Atlantic by Pablo Oviola of BBVA in Madrid. Pablo has worked as an expert in digital regulation at BBVA for most of the last decade, punctuated by a year that he spent on secondment with us here at the IF in Washington. And indeed, he returns to FRT today on the other side of the microphone. But he was with us right from the very early stages of FRT, speaking with us in English on episodes 2, 4, 30 and 34, and also in Spanish on episodes 7 and 15. Across each of those sessions, we focused a lot on data policy, issues like privacy, open banking, and perhaps the move beyond open banking to open data, and also cross-border data movement, where of course he led the initial IAF paper on data localization issues. Today we're going to focus primarily on the new BBVA working paper from FinTech to Big Tech, an evolving regulatory response, which Pablo recently co-authored with his colleague Lucia Pacheco-Rodriguez. Pablo, welcome back to FRT and thank you for joining us once again. Thank you. Thank you, Brad, for, for inviting me. It's, it's a pleasure to be back to FRT. Great to have you with us. We're going to move on to some of those substantive matters that we talked about in just a second. But firstly, let's talk about you and your return to Spain a year ago. You're now the, the head of digital regulation and trends at BVVA. How have you found that settling back in and, and what stood out for you most in transitioning back to BVVA in Madrid? Well, it all happened very quick and I, I didn't have much time to settle in, but I was moving back to a city that I knew quite well, so it was relatively easy. And during my time at the IIF, I was in close contact with my colleagues here at the bank, so it was also easy to catch up with developments in VVVA. It's now one year since I moved back to Madrid, but I feel like it was more time ago, probably because this has been a very intense uh, year, not only because of the pandemic, but also because here in Spain and in the European Union, the new European Commission and the new Spanish government, we've had a lot of work. They've been setting out their strategies and their plans for the following years, and we've been really busy with public consultations and providing input and having discussions with the authorities. The last months here in, in Europe, they have been a consultation period. We, we've, we've had a lot of consultations on, on issues related with digital finance, so we've been really busy. I guess it's in, in some ways the perfect storm where you have the mix of the pandemic, as you mentioned the legislative agenda in Europe, but also that BBVA is a very dynamic and fast-moving firm on a lot of these topics. You've been a leading firm in a lot of the thinking about digital policy issues for a long time, and that continues, and we're, we're delighted that Carlos Torres Villa has uh, recently uh, agreed to co-chair our new steering committee on digital finance as well. But let's pick up the pandemic element of the new normal or the busy times that we're going through and the, the conflux of that perfect storm. Early on, it seemed that you know, Madrid was one of the, the most affected cities interested in how it feels there now. What are the conditions like on the ground? And you know, is it a sense of returning to some form of normality or to a new normal? What's the, the feeling like there? The Spanish government is using this idea of the new normality to which we are now back or we are now in. And I think we are still trying to understand what it exactly means, this new normality and how we get used to, to it. We've undergone here in, in, in Madrid and in, in the whole of Spain a very hard lockdown. We were at home for almost two months, living only to buy the groceries for essential issues. And it was hard to adapt to the lockdown. But I think it's also very hard to adapt to this new situation. And the challenge now is quite different, but it's also a challenge. Now we can go out, we can move around, we can meet people, we can make plans. But all times we have to be making decisions on what is sensible and what is not, what are the limits. So we are in this process of setting out the new boundaries and the new norms of social life. 
It's now up to the personal responsibility of everyone to be in the good path. In the office, for instance, we are also getting used to the new circumstances. Since the beginning of July, we are combining remote work with in-office, with very strict procedures here in the office, with more distance between desks, meeting rooms with less people, wearing masks when we are close to, to anyone. So it's hard to adapt to this new normality. And if you look at the news now in Spain, we have some outbreaks in parts of the country. So we still have to be very cautious. But I think now the challenge is personal responsibility. No, it's up to all of us to be responsible. It's a different type of challenge. After the lockdown, now we have to be making decisions all day about what we do and what we shouldn't do. Some interesting observations and probably some good food for thought or some, some early warning indicators perhaps for those of us in other places that are a bit further behind on the curve of what we might have ahead of us. So thank you. Let's turn to the substantive topic that we wanted to, to talk about today, and that's the, the working paper that you've recently released from FinTech to Big Tech, an evolving regulatory response. And I was wondering if we could start, Pablo, with your thoughts around the potential for big techs to perhaps fundamentally alter the market structure and the competition dynamics. So in the paper, we argue that the big tech phenomenon in finance is substantially different to the fintech phenomenon. Of course, they have some things in common. Both fintech companies and the big techs, they are new entrants in the financial services market, and they specialize in a few products and services, generally those that are subject to less stringent regulations, such as payments or, or credit without deposit taking. But the difference is that while fintech companies, they operate primarily in financial services, those big tech companies, they offer financial products as an extension, as an add-on of uh, another business, which is their core business. So those companies, those big tech companies, they build around their customers an ecosystem of interconnected products and services. And now financial services are adding to that ecosystem. And, and that's very different to the fintech phenomenon. And that's why we say that while the fintechs, they unbundled the traditional bank's value chain by offering a different products and services in, in, a, in a more individual way, the big techs are doing kind of the opposite because they are rebundling or they are integrating those elements from financial services within a broader ecosystem of products and services, including social network, communication tool, online search, mobile operating systems, etc. So it's an integration of financial services within other products and services. And those big techs, they can achieve a scale very quickly when they enter a new a business line in and we have already seen this in other markets in which they have entered because they have millions of active users and they have several characteristics that make them very, very powerful and allow them to gain a scale in the markets in which they operate and also to enter new markets such as financial services, for, for instance. They benefit from network effects in many of the services that they offer. So when they achieve a significant or a critical mass of users, that reinforces the attractiveness of the whole ecosystem. And that's why some of those markets, they are winner-takes-all markets in which one or very few players compete in the, in the market. Those companies, they also have gatekeeper roles, so they are the entry points to other products and, and services, and therefore they can exercise at least some degree of control over those markets. For instance, mobile operating system can exercise a certain degree of control over related markets, such as mobile apps. This includes mobile payments. And data is, is another feature that makes them very powerful because since they offer very different types of products and services, they gather data from those products and they can combine and have a very broad overview of the users and their insights. 
this allows those companies to improve the services that they offer, but also to enter into new products and services because data has value not just for the product where it was generated, but data has also value across products and across sectors. So the conclusion is that because of the size that they have, those big tech companies, but also because of those features that make them so powerful, the network effects, the gatekeeper roles, the data that they gather, this meant the markets in which those companies operate, they saw a tendency to concentration. And this gives those companies a lot of power in the markets in which they operate. They also have the ability and the power to leverage from one market to another and to extend from one market to, to another. If we think of financial services within this equation, obviously they, they have the power to significantly alter the structure of the, of the market because they can very quickly grow and they can very quickly have a significant scale in a market once they have entered. It's a very different proposition to the one that we see with the fintech firms where you kind of had fintechs that, uh, that suddenly emerged but really needed the banks or the insurers and, and probably vice versa in a bit of a symbiotic relationship that you have fintech firms with a great idea, a great innovation, some great new technology, but from a starting point, zero customers. And on the other hand, you have the banks and insurers with great extensive customer bases. And in the case of some firms, at least, some, some struggles in how to actually innovate and value in being able to leverage a fintech's technology in a partnership context. But the big techs are kind of the ones who have it all, aren't they? That They do have the great new technology as well as having, as you put it, the very substantive customer bases and the data that comes with those customer bases from what they already have in their other product offerings in other sectors. It's a, it's a very different proposition. And your paper, I think, traces the evolution of the thinking from the fintechs unbundling, as you put it, to the, the big techs rebundling. And I guess we kind of have an environment where the regulatory responses are perhaps partially keeping pace with that evolution or or perhaps not. Um, you know, one particular area where I think this is apparent and, and you know, that you've already alluded to is about open banking and perhaps the next generation of movements in the way that data is shared into open finance or open data. What progress do you see in this area and perhaps what would you like to see? The open banking discussion is, is a very good example of how the, the regulator's mindset is evolving and how it should evolve uh, looking forward. No, it, it's a great example of this, this discussion on fintech and, and big tech. Because open banking frameworks, they were aimed at increasing competition in financial services, in payment services, but also beyond uh, payments. Because by, by opening up access to data, you facilitate switching from one provider to another. You facilitate also the emergence of tools to compare between different products and services. You also facilitate new products and, and services based on, on data. So definitely you promote innovation, but also competition. And in, indeed, in the UK, it was the Competition and Markets Authority that set up the open banking framework as a competition remedy in a market inquiry. So the purpose was to increase competition. And fintechs, they were already operating in the open banking space before we had a regulatory framework, at least here in, in Europe. And the regulatory interventions, they were aimed at addressing the risks, but also the goal was to facilitate the activity by, by providing trust and, and facilitating access to data. It was basically an intervention to facilitate and boost the development of, of an activity in which fintechs, they were active and they were a very important uh, player. And those companies, those fintech companies, they did not generally have vast amounts of consumer data themselves because they were not operating in other products and services beyond payments or, or finance. So it was hard to think or to argue that open banking was creating a, a level playing issue, at least an, an important level playing field issue. 
But then you have the big techs, and the story, I think it's, it's totally different because the big techs, they already have vast amounts of consumer data from all the other products and services that they offer. And then open banking allows those companies to gain access to payments data and to data that before was only held by banks. So they are able to gain access to new data sets while their own data sets from the different products and services that they were offering, like social network, mobile operating systems, mobile apps, online search, etc. Those data sets, they don't have to be shareable or portable under, under similar conditions. So they gain access to new data sets while their own customer data sets remain under, let's say, exclusive or restricted portability or, or sharing. As we were discussing before, data is one of the powerful features of those companies and therefore open banking reinforces the, the power of those companies. And I think authorities are now increasingly aware of this, the implications of open banking for the level playing field between banks and big tech companies. And the Financial Stability Board indeed has highlighted and recognized that the asymmetry introduced by those frameworks, it has an impact on, on competition and it can have an impact on stability. I think now there is a recognition of this problem and there is more interest and more discussion on how to move from open banking or open finance to open data, to user data sharing frameworks that are cross-sectoral and horizontal and they are not just specific to the financial sector. However, the, the problem is that it is always easier to further develop an existing framework such as open banking and include more products and services within that framework. That's always easier than extend the principle behind open banking to other sectors to make real the cross-sectoral and the horizontal approach to data sharing. That's always di more difficult. Because if you think of the big techs, for instance, they, they operate in different in, in complex activities, they have different data sets, they don't have sectoral regulators. So it's difficult to apply the principle behind open banking to other sectors, to the big techs and to other companies. But that cannot be an excuse. And I think we, we need to move forward in that direction, in the in the cross-sectoral approach to user data sharing, because there is a great opportunity to further empower consumers with greater control over their data, also to increase competition in, in digital markets, to promote data driven innovation. So I think it's a challenge. It's difficult because um, because it's, it's not easy to extend the idea of open banking to all sectors of the economy. But I think there's a great opportunity if we move in that direction. It's a great point, Pablo. And I, I want to pick up about the, the cross-sectoral regulatory element a little later. But I think uh, what you allude to there of the, the asymmetry across sectors, it, it kind of feels a lot like the paper that we did together two years ago on uh, reciprocity or asymmetry between those different sectors still seems very much very valid today. Another point I, I wanted to, to turn to, though, uh, your paper makes the point about the systemic dimension and where big techs have potential systemic importance. You've referred here to the, the level of their user bases. When we look at the way that systemic importance is treated elsewhere in the financial sector, some of the existing structures for GSIBs and GSIFIs, those were developed as part of the response to the last crisis when we were all very focused on issues like creditworthiness the total size of banks' asset books, their derivatives exposures, the interconnectedness of those, their liquidity. To the extent that that history gets treated in some ways, perhaps as a starting point for the way of thinking about systemic importance, you know, are we looking at the wrong issues there or are we, are we not paying enough attention perhaps to competition? It's very important to take into account the link between competition and systemic risk and, and financial stability. Authorities are increasingly doing so, and I think that connection is going to be even more important in the future. No? 
there is an obvious link between competition and, and, and systemic risk. In competitive markets, there are systemic players. But obviously, if, if you have a lack of competition, if you have a market in which there is not enough competition, if, if financial services become more concentrated or, or they become winner-takes-all markets, we will have more sources of systemic risk. Not just in terms of the size of the players that are systemic, but also we can have systemic players and systemic risks in areas of financial services that traditionally they were relatively decentralized and in which there was no concentration and there was no systemic risk. Uh, for instance, if, if big tech players, they add new layers on top of existing services and they become a layer to access financial services as providers of marketplaces or interfaces on top of the existing structure and infrastructure of the financial services market, they could become critical infrastructures to access financial services. So we can have new sources of systemic risk, not only in the parts of the sector in which we have always seen systemic risk, but also in new parts of the sector that traditionally they were relatively diversified or they were controlled by, by a, a large number of, of players. So I think this is something that we need to pay attention to. I think authorities are already paying attention to those issues, to this interlink between competition and stability, and they will do so even more in the future because, because of this big tech phenomenon. And indeed, the, the Financial Stability Board has already recognized the interlink and the report on big tech. It puts a great emphasis in the connection between competition and, and stability. And the FSB has recognized that even if those big tech companies, they increase competition in the short or the medium term, there is a risk that in the future, a small number of those companies, they can dominate rather than diversify the, the provision of certain financial services. And as we were saying, if we have a more concentrated financial services market, we will have new sources of systemic risk. It's a thought that, that where in the existing GCIB framework, it, the focus on competition is very much about the substitutability within particular markets, things like custody services, for instance, whereas your point, I think, is that this could be an issue on a much more widespread basis, uh, perhaps in the future. I'd like to pick up the point about the cross-sectoral solutions, uh, I guess, uh, which I think you were already alluding to when we talked about open banking and open data. A lot of the issues that we're talking about run beyond purely the scope of finance and beyond the mandates, perhaps the traditional law or specific specialist mandates of financial regulators, and do warrant an approach that is more aimed at cross-sectoral solutions. You know, I tend to think that the financial regulators and central banks are reasonably advanced in their sophistication. So is it that they need to perhaps be the ones that are leading and championing the cause of cross-sectoral stability and competition issues that the likes of the FSB and, uh, and individual regulators need to be the champions in fora like the G20 and the G7, for instance? Would you agree with that? Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, the experience of coordination between financial regulators and supervisors is of great value no? to extend that experience to, to other challenges that, that now require a global response. And those are issues related to data, data flows, but data protection, because if we don't have global standards on data protection and privacy, it will be really hard to facilitate cross-border data flows. But there are also challenges, global challenges in competition, in the taxation of large technology companies, and those challenges are, are global and they are also cross-sectoral. So they, they need to be addressed with a horizontal approach and not sector by sector. 
But financial regulators, they have a great experience of coordination at, at the international level, and they can definitely promote the debate and push for global coordination. And they can, as you were saying, they can champion this discussion at, at global fora. And also on the international coordination issue, in the paper, we also say that regarding the financial sector in particular, the response to the fintech phenomenon, it was mainly at the national level or here in Europe at the European level, but coordination on fintech issues was relatively limited. I think things are also changing as a result of the big tech phenomenon because the nature of those companies is global. And therefore, the response to some of those challenges also has to be global, the financial regulatory response. And I think that's something that we are starting to see with global stablecoins and with Libra. So I think going back to this idea of what changes from fintech to big tech, the response of financial regulators themselves also has to change. And the need for global coordination on digital finance issues is greater due to the big tech's entrance into finance because the geographical scope is also different to the fintech phenomenon. It's an interesting and challenging kind of labyrinth for a lot of these regulators and supervisors to deal to in as you say, we are dealing with global phenomena and global issues. And to some extent, the infrastructure is already in place through things like the FSB and the Bail Committee for financial regulators, at least on a lot of the traditional issues. But then you have issues that are cross-cutting and come across the mandate of competition commissioners and data privacy commissioners and the like. And I'm not sure that the same global coordination or, or infrastructure and history is necessarily there, which makes that a more complicated issue. And whilst I think we can call out and emphasise the need for greater international coordination there, we do empathise that it's not an easy one for a lot of these authorities to manage with their own respective mandates. Pablo, there are also examples of banks and insurers indeed uh, that are actually partnering with big techs around particular products or services, for instance, or particular initiatives. How do you see the regulatory oversight working in those cases? Well, I think if we look at financial services right now, we have a lot of partnerships, we have value chains with our complex, and we have increasing collaboration between different types of players, things like banking as a service, fintechs making use of the services of other companies, etc. We have a more complex ecosystem of companies that are interconnected and that they are collaborating among each other and there are different types of agreements or partnerships. And I think in this context, it's very important that we have the regulation and the oversight at the right level. And we have this mantra always of having a regulatory framework, which is activity and risk based rather than entity based. I think this means that it's very important that we allocate the responsibilities and the oversight across the value chain at the right level. We do not impose the burden on a single player or on an entity based, but that we are able to identify where the risks are and where the responsibilities have to be within the value chain in which we have more players and more interconnection than ever. So I think it's always an issue of how we implement this idea of activity and risk-based regulation on a case-by-case basis. Pablo, we've talked about a number of issues that I think are kind of maybe the timeless issues, or at least the ones that will stand the test of time. But let's bring it back to the current context and the the COVID-19 pandemic to conclude. It strikes me that the big tech firms have probably become even more influential as part of the COVID-19 situation and response so far. They've been working with governments on health or contact tracing solutions. 
I think all of us have an increased reliance on these services in our daily lives. I joked a little while ago that I think the best I've managed to get is two consecutive days without ordering anything from Amazon. Uh, We've seen the growth of e-commerce and it's in some ways the way that history repeats or at least rhymes in terms of the SARS crisis of 2002 to 04. That was really the period where Alibaba dramatically emerged when people didn't want to shop in person. And we see more of that happening today. We see so many small businesses reinventing themselves as e-commerce enterprises on tech firms platforms. A lot of my local copy shops that do curbside pickup and the like have all suddenly uh, appeared on Square and on Ritual and the like. The fact that those tech firms are continuing to generate revenues while other sectors of the economy might be struggling and they have this greater intertwined and more embedded presence, I think, in commerce and in everyone's lives. Does it mean that one of the impacts of COVID, it picks up the issues that you've raised and it, it makes them even more pertinent and urgent in terms of the competition and concentration issues? Yes, I think definitely the the issue is is more important than, than ever because our our lives have moved to the digital world, and given the power and the the position of those digital ecosystems that we were talking about, the digital ecosystems of the of the big techs, this means that our lives have become or are becoming more intermediated than ever by those players. So they they are having a more prominent role than ever in our lives. And they are central elements in in our uh, relationship with other types of providers and and players. So their role has become even more important. And they have more opportunities to extend their ecosystems to other products and services because we are now interacting more with all companies through digital channels. More small and medium-sized companies, they need those marketplaces to keep alive and to sell their, their products in this context. So definitely, they have a more prominent role probably in the post-COVID world. And also, if, if you look at their financial strength, probably relative to other sectors, they will also be reinforced. Even if their business model of some of those companies is highly dependent on advertising, the micro-targeting and and the micro-advertising business model that they have is is more resilient than the the business model of the traditional media, for instance. So I think definitely that they will be reinforced after COVID, both because of the role they have in our digital lives and also because of their relative financial strength, at least if we compare it with other sectors of, of the economy. But at the same time, it's also true, I mean, and and we have to recognize that this crisis has shown and is showing the importance of banks in in the economy, because banks are the ones that are providing liquidity and and credit to the real economy, supporting SMEs and and corporates to be able to navigate uh, these very difficult uh, times. So I think this crisis is emphasizing the important role that banks play in, in the economy. I don't know what would have happened without banks or with banks having a much more minor role in in the economy. So I think this also emphasizes the importance to preserve a financial services market, which is competitive and in which all all different types of players, they they can compete under fair conditions because financial services in those crisis situations, it shows how important the role it plays is for the economy. And we are seeing it right now. But yes, this issue of preserving the level playing field is is very important. And it's important to act now, not to wait until those big tech companies, they have already a significant uh, position in the financial services market. Because the, the conditions shaping competition today, they are the ones that will determine the structure of the financial services in the future. 
If we address the issues related to data, to fair access to infrastructure, etc., today, we will make sure that the market in the future remains competitive. So it is now that we have to act to preserve competition in the future. The dynamic pace of change and the need for policy, therefore, to be forward-looking is a a great one and a great point for us to, to finish on. Pablo, thanks so much for joining us. You continue to be one of the world's foremost thinkers on these issues. We were delighted to benefit from your input and your insights during your time with the IAF, and it's great to see you continuing to contribute to the whole industry with the thought leadership that you're providing from BBVA. I'm going to quickly just recap on a a couple of the, the key points I take from the discussion. A really important point you made around how big techs are able to build around their customers and how this is quite different from the fintech phenomenon. The fact that the big techs can achieve scale very quickly when they enter a new sector and how we need to see that in the the context of how they can benefit from network effects, the winner-take-all markets and the, the entry points to other services, all of which funnel together, I think, in that sense of the tendency towards concentration that we need as a society, I think, to be very conscious of. On open banking, I like how you alluded to the potential for open banking, and I think the intent of open banking to be facilitating movement and innovation and new services and competition. But at the same time, we need to see that potential and that intent against the backdrop of the other scenarios that can arise and that it may, contrary to the intent, actually have a a negative impact on competition if we uh, have circumstances of the asymmetries allowed to persist. And as you noted, it's great that the FSB has recognised the issue of asymmetry it's still a challenging one as to how we take it forward, noting the point you made that it's, it's often easier to build on an existing framework rather than perhaps extending it in other directions and in other sectors. We talked about the importance of the link between systemic risk and competition and how global challenges need global solutions, need coordination. But financial regulators, I think, have, have had some great experience, some great successes and are perhaps the great examples of international coordination and how hopefully that can be the reference point, perhaps, or the basis for extending that more broadly on a cross-sectoral basis. And lastly, that, that COVID has the impact of making a lot of these issues more important than ever, that our lives are more digital, as you put it, and also that our lives are increasingly even more intermediated by some of the big tech firms. Pablo, it's been a great discussion. It's been great to hear your insights. So thank you once again for joining us on FRT. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Looking ahead on FRT, we're going to look at the new IIF Deloitte's supplemental report on the role of COVID in catalyzing digital transformation efforts within firms. That's a supplement to the ongoing IIF Deloitte series, Realising the Digital Promise. And we're also going to continue on the theme of data policy in discussion with Tanvi Singh, the Chief Analytics Officer at Credit Suisse in Zurich. Uh, You may recall that we've discussed some of these issues recently with Dean Finance CRO Torsten Kleinbuning on episode 71, and also with David Hardoon, formerly of the Monetary Authority of Singapore and now at the Union Bank of the Philippines. That was on episode 66. But looking ahead, we're going to pick up some of those issues and discuss them further with Tanvi. So please join us again for those upcoming episodes. This is Brad Carr, signing off for FRT. 